Well, I'm not going to get into what I know or what I don't know. Here's what I know. No one is the suppository of all wisdom. It's like medicine, though. You have to, you have Absolutely. to write this stuff, or else what are you going to do with the feelings inside? Waitress walks over to me. Hey, what you reading for? <laughs> we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. When you exert a force on one end of the lever, it produces another force here on the other end to lift the load. In summing up, summing up it's Marbo, it's justice, justice, it's law, it's the vibe, and uh, no, that's it, it's the vibe. Hello and welcome to episode four of The Lever. Thanks for joining us. It's your host, Luke, right here, and I'm very lucky to be joined today by a couple of my favourite witty eggheads. I'm Caitlin. Hello. I'm David. And welcome, folks, and both first-timers. I'm very lucky to have you both on the show. Yeah, we're, you know, Super Saturday episode, put the call out. It's Mm -hmm. not, this is like, this is the politics that I've defined the show against so far, where I've said I don't want to do big talking head over-intellectualised you know, party punch-outs of top-level Australian politics that doesn't resonate. I want to do experiential politics, that how we live it out in our lives. But the thing is, I know both of you can kind of have a foot in each camp and talk both shops, and that's why I'm so excited to have both of you today. Just want to acknowledge that we're recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri, Boon and Woiwurrung people, and uh, pay our respects to elders past and present and families from those communities and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. And we also want to uh, yeah, encourage you to check out past episodes, Who Jogger and Medieval Realty, uh, kind of class warfare of our first episode. I think that was like a real highlight. And obviously with the second Poo Jogger coming around, we might need to keep, like we might need to like every four episodes have a Poo Jogger episode. I don't know. It looks like it could be a thing. Let's see how the Downer family reacts to being chucked out of mayo. Maybe there'll be a spate of Poo Jogging in the Adelaide Hills. I have no idea. If it isn't already happening. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Yeah, you know? we don't know. No, exactly. At this rate, they could get on the ballot and do quite well. You know, judging of the results in some of these electorates, they could get you know, 3 or 4%, 5%, just call yeah. themselves the poo joggers. I mean, handing out how to vote cards might be problematic. It's all but, about yeah. normalising a hitherto terrible idea like mm. racism <laughs> or, you know, blaming immigrants or, um, you know, it's just normalised. Like, all the poo joggers would be like, oh, thank God, now we can finally exhale in the public space as well as defecate in the public space (laughs) which we're always doing this is the free market at work now i don't just have to exhale from my bum i can actually (laughs) exhale out the top as well with opinions (laughs) do you want to talk through like what happened bratton (laughs) yes okay so just a really really quick wrap up we had our super saturday yesterday which was who can you know what's the background uh, to this, why do we need to have all these by-elections? This is the kind of dual citizenship crisis in which I just can't believe that that's still a thing. But some of them I feel bad for because they they sent off and said, "I don't want to be a citizen." Yeah. And then the UK Ministry said, "Well, cool, but we'll start you on a process." And rather than, and they'd never been there, they never applied, they yeah. never. So it was that. Yeah, they, they got it sort of through default. I, I I do have a bit of sympathy. I have heaps of sympathy. I think, yeah. it's, I think it's truly insane. Mm. I think it's hilarious. And I'm, really, <laughs> and I'm really happy that it happened. And it happened to the Greens first. So everybody could point and laugh and say, oh, look at that. And establish the yeah. norms for how to frame it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. 
And then it's just come back to bite Love literally it. everybody else. Uh, yeah. One after the other, after the other, Deputy Prime Minister, um, senior sitting ministers. Mm-hmm. Just beautiful. Who's our new Deputy Prime Minister? And does, do they have a funny hat? I don't know if they have a funny hat. And I don't know their name because they're not relevant to the national discussion. No love child, no coverage. (laughs) That is the new rule. That's the new norm. That's coming out of the press gallery, I think. Fantastic. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess today, if you're listening out there, we're sort of talking about how the media's covered our Super Saturday. You know, Super Saturday is already like a big sports event or gambling event kind of frame, isn't it? So we're already in this competitive tussle. Which footy match is going to pull through, you know, politics as football match. Uh, who's going to win? It's already got mm. that vibe, right, when we're calling it Super Saturday. What do you I, make of that? I think it's like a deeply American, mm. very, very Americanized sort of framing of the whole thing rather than it being simply a bunch of by-elections. Yeah. It's gamified. Totally, totally. It's so lazy too. It is. It's just incredibly lazy. They haven't been able to put the resources together to identify what the issues are in Mm. these electorates, who the other candidates beside Labour and Liberal, in the event that Liberal are running a candidate in most in some of these electorates, which they're not in all five. You know, it's just slack. Yeah. (laughs) It's just oh, this is my job. I guess I will do the easy thing. Is there a better way to gamify? Like, like David, this is actually your expertise, right? Like, how would we gamify politics further than a Super Saturday? I reckon yeah. a gladiatorial match to the death would yeah, okay. be preferable, right? Yeah, sure. Like, I want to see Turnbull <laughs> and Shorten, like, in the ring, you know, punching each other in the face. <laughs> <laughs> I think given you know, the, the fact that we've got all these by-elections because of the constitutional dual citizenship crisis, uh, all of these immigrants literally running the country, I think that would probably be very popular with the rest of the country. I could just put them all in one spot and see what happens. But more seriously, I would I would actually like to see, sporting-wise, a balloted debate between Labour and the Greens, Liberal and the Greens, Labour and Liberal, Liberal and the Liberal Democrats, and they could talk about who had the name first. And we could mm. have these things mm. an hour a week on ABC or SBS or a podcast or something like that, and we kind of have yeah. the whole range of political parties so they all debate each other at least once, and every year we have an election. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm down for that. <laughs> Every year. That is too frequent. But it's entertainment at this point. So, yeah, like, I'm imagining true. that being rolled out. Like, old, if you're Generation X, it, it's a knockout, or now I think it's called Wipeout, with, like, sort of physical, big padded weapons and people kind of falling into pools and stuff. And, like, I mean, that would be the way to do it. Like, if you, like, make your rhetorical argument, but if you lose, you get dropped into, like, a pit of jelly or, you know, just something. It's not going to kill you, but it's, you know... But it's humiliating enough for you to give a shit, maybe. That's right. So speaking of, I've got it last on the list, but let's start with it to get out of the way. Speaking of humiliating enough to give a shit, one of the great stories that sort of garnered people's interest is the appalling blue-blooded born-to-rule downer family legacy that sort of withered on the vine a bit in the Adelaide Hills in the seat of Mayo. Pretty unremarkable, except it's the Nick Xenophon team rebranded as, what are they called again? It's the Centre Alliance. Yes, so Rebecca Shari uh, winning handsomely. But yeah, Georgina Downer and Alexander Downer her father, you know, and, and recalling that their great-great-grandfather was the turn of the 19th century, was twice Premier of South Australia, and that Alexander Downer's grandfather was, you know, a minister in post-war government. And they're born to this stuff. And I heard an interview of him saying that his daughter had suffered at the result of a hate campaign, which, coming from a Liberal candidate, you know, like Downer was Minister of Foreign Affairs all through, like, you know, was he minister during the Tampa crisis? And where do we start with the ironies there? I mean, and with, with Georgina being basically told to go back where you came from as a kind of a flying candidate. Mm. I feel really bad for Georgina because the next family Christmas dinner is going to be really awkward. 
They, oh, yeah. Say, oh, you yeah. just you couldn't make it, huh? Well, you know, who else from the family can we run in Mayo? Because mm. you know, we have to keep this up. You know, it should be oh, a yeah. real disappointment. Yeah, yeah, she's on the shit list for sure. Yeah. Like, you know, her family are not going to be happy with her. But it, I think we were looking at her campaign page or mm. her candidate page, and there was nothing remarkable. I don't think about it. They couldn't see anything sort of specifically appealing to the she, Mayo electorate. It was very much like I went to LSE, got a master's, did these really impressive, very high-powered jobs. Yeah. Like, what on earth does she have to offer? Well, well the last downer. <laughs> the Mayo people might miss having a downer. I think we need yeah. a... Like, can't we have a situation where we have, like... Minister for Mental Health, Minister Downer. Like, <laughs> can't we continue this kind of, like, opposite ironic naming culture? Uh, I just love it when we get an opportunity for things like that. Started, obviously, with Tony Abbott as Minister for Women. Oh, completely, yeah. This is the kind of, yeah, trolling, like, top-down trolling, isn't yes. it? Like, we meant, yeah. yeah, trolling coming up from these disenfranchised people hiding behind their computers or from, yeah, like, leaders of the country. People I'm going are... miss... to miss Batman. The electorate of Batman. Oh, the electorate of Batman, Batman. Because David Feeney used to be the shadow minister for justice out of Batman. Mm. Which is brilliant. That Fantastic. is genius. Yeah. And then like Batman being like this sort of millionaire who has takes on a very punitive mm. right-wing approach to solving problems. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll, yeah. It, it's just the wordplay. If you're a punster, yes. if you've got the pun guns out, you, you can sort of go to town, can't you? Now, so what do you think about like multi-generational Liberal Party conservative elites crying out that they've been the victim of like a hate campaign. I just think it's gaslighting of the worst kind. Mm. It's the take. It's taking the language of people who are genuinely being bullied and oppressed by the by the media, yes, and then reappropriating it and re co-opting it to further some sort of horrible race to the bottom of like who's the most hard done by out of all these extremely privileged people. Mm. It makes me sick. Crying into their pins over tennis Yes, I'm from the home counties and I think it's appalling. (laughs) I don't know, you know. This is their first go at the Oppression Olympics. We need to give them a mulligan on this one. Well, Mm -hmm. yeah. I I just say welcome to the party. (laughs) Where were you 50 years ago? Where were you 100 years ago? At last night's night's election party defeat, Alexander Downer, he literally said that we have government leadership in our blood. We have it in our blood. That's just bonkers. Which is, it's the bluest blood, like. (laughs) But it's like the idea that anyone's born to rule, even... You know, people who are literally, like, even the royal family, who I described yesterday as being bred for the job. They're like racehorses. Yes. You know. (laughs) From Germany. From Germany. Mm. Imported. You know, people who are, even people who are literally bred for this job. Yeah. Don't do a very good job of it unless they're told very strictly, you have no power. You can't possibly be born into it. Yes. Because it just completely destroys democracy, I think. In, in a way as well, like being born into, you know, political leadership means being helicoptered into safe seats, which yes. ad- admittedly Georgina Downer was helicoptered into a, a tough seat, you know, like which I genuinely respect, but with the family legacy there, it made sense. But being hel- being choppered in and then coming up with a bunch of sort of ninny-brained conceits that the mm. relevant public affairs department tells you is ridiculous and sidesteps you at every turn you know like i feel like that the relationship between like any kind of ministerial authority and and your relevant department uh Mm. yeah there's a big gap there to be fair it is the byline of the liberal party it's the liberal party born to rule born to rule yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah i do feel bad for georgie yeah yeah i i 
don't know how to feel about it. I, I do want a Liberal Party with more like female candidates uh, who are strong, and she's got like her workshops are pretty, oh, pretty decent. Played like played a lot of role in like embassies and. Yep. Personally, she's a super impressive you know, candidate. 100%, you would expect you would yeah. want that kind of resume you know, for a candidate, but you know, kind of the policies that she's standing up for, as well as the look, my dad used to live here, and my grandfather used to live here, and you That's all know it. my name. Yeah. Uh, that should be good enough. Well, it's not good enough, and it's not good mm. enough when you're going up against a respected, you know, quote unquote, yeah. independent member. Yeah, and I think it belies also a kind of arrogance about the Liberal Party where they assume Mm. that their electorates are, or they think they assume the Australian people are stupid enough Mm. to fall for something like that. But there are reasons to assume that the Australian electorate is stupid enough to fall for that. Oh, yeah. So... A couple I of mean, past federal elections are a couple, kind of a testament to that. I mean, you they, bet. They, they can pull yeah. the same trick a lot of times, but I think in, in Mayo... Law of diminishing returns or something. Yeah, mm. Rebecca Sharkey's going to be there for a while now, I think. Yeah, there's yeah. No, yeah. There's no getting around. She survived the rebranding of her party twice, so, you know, she can only... Yeah, she's consolidated now. It's one of those things right, where the centre aligns, like where you stand for everything, you stand for nothing. Yeah. Yeah, the lib- sort of like campaigning in the UK, like if you're, if you're on board with the Liberal Democrats, it's like we just value... Rules and moderation and everything. So if, if confronted yes. by a Nazi and just a really mean person, you'll find the middle ground between them, you know, and that you, you sort of stand for nothing but process itself. Or That's something. it. You'll find so, the middle ground and then just run on it. Yeah. As far away as you possibly can get from any sort of actual discourse. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of running away from things, I think the last thing that they've, in the tone of the Downer family sort of, immediately reflecting upon their defeat in Mayo is like the key to the kind of the key to the conservative ascendancy of the last 20 years in Australian culture has been um, the Howard Battler. So peeling away conservative, Mm. conservative social value, working class people away from the union movement and and having that Howard Battler. And so the blue bloodedness should have really reared its head. I mean, it should have been onto it a long time before, but I mean, yeah. And we are talking about the Adelaide Hills, you know, where the peace pipe's always been. Anyway, I'm not sure about the Adelaide Hills. I don't know how many uh, Howard Battlers. I don't know how many Howard Battlers are on the Howard Battlers even exist? I think they were a fiction for the most part. It was just, you know, like if you don't feel comfortable voting for the Labor Party, and at the time the Labor Party was you know, headed by a very wealthy, double-breasted suit-wearing, very eloquent uh, attack dog in Paul Keating. And it was like, look, if you don't feel comfortable being represented by someone who doesn't look like you, doesn't talk like you, isn't educated like you, Come vote for us. Yeah. We'll mm. sort you out. Yeah. yeah. And I don't, not just a fiction. Yeah, well, maybe that's the case. So, yeah, moving on. Now, the big... Uh, now, David, you wanted to talk about how in Perth and Frio, like how amazing... Like what was the big standout for you in Perth and Frio? Uh, well, at one moment uh, last night, the Greens had a... They were leading in the primary vote in Perth on 38%. And it was obviously they'd just tipped out the first 50 votes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was still on the website. It's, you know, like plus 37% swing. Greens are ahead, I think. And it was from, like, the Frio market. like Yeah, the, that's right. It was yeah, well, with people in between massages and, you know. <laughs> it was um, yeah, pretty stunning. If I was... If I was a Liberal and I was living in Perth or Frio or one of those electorates, I'd be 
pretty upset that they didn't bother running a candidate for me. You know, they mm. just they run away. They're like, well, we're running these five elections because of variety of constitutional issues, but we're not even going to contest the ball. We're just mm. going to let Labor have it. We're going to let the Greens and Labor have at it. And you know, to their credit, uh, the Liberal Democrats did pick up a fair few votes by virtue of their name in both of those electorates. <laughs> right. Because yeah. there's no Liberal on the ticket. But I, and the takeaway for me is that the Liberals don't care about you if you are in an electorate. They cannot possibly win. Yeah, that's that rep- mm. Where's the representation from the Liberal Party for those people? I think my take mm. on that was that I think hardcore, some, there may be some hardcore Liberal voters who'll see that and think, oh, that's a sens- mm. sensible approach if they yes. know that they can't win. Keep your powder dry, old chum. Ex- that's it. It's <laughs> Yeah, talk about blue-bloodedness. Like, exactly. Just don't yeah. think they've got the money to run an effective campaign in those seats and then to lose on top of it. Yeah. Well, that's it. It's the humiliation that they can't stand. How much is it that humiliation side, like saving face because they can't win a seat? And how much is it, no, no, we're into small government and ostensibly we're into like economic uh, frugality. So that's why we're not running these elections. And so we're demonstrating to our, which also we can't afford to run these elections. So we're demonstrating to potential donors that we're willing to practice what we preach when it comes to not wasting money on unwinnable elections. Like, that's super meta, hey? Mm. What's going on? It might be a bit too much. I think there's just, we can't win. We'll get law, yeah, We'll get our asses handed to us. And, uh, we're flat broke. Yeah, we're flat broke. We've, we pass you know, the hat around. They've remortgaged mm. the, you know, the Victorian Liberal Party headquarters a couple of times and they can't do it again. So, you know, they? Yeah. Yeah, they, they need money. And, mm. you know, surprising for the free kick they get in the press just about every time they open their mouths like, to, to not contest uh, on the yeah. basis of not being able to compete or not being not having the money to compete. I don't know. It's, it's a little staggering. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think there's that quote from Turnbull that spoke a little while ago and said that, like earlier today, Shorten had nothing to crow about. Mm. And I think ah, it, yes. There's like this, there's no win here. Because, there's no win mm. here, and it's like, like we didn't even try. That's how I got yeah, through high school. So that's it. If I don't try, I won't Gosh. fail. That's it. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's it. It's that you know the that kind of that ego runs so deep mm. through the party that even the potential of losing but then again you know i completely identify with that feeling as well you know i don't like gambling because of the because the risk of losing is way too yes. like, horrible in my mind but it's not like a 50-50 chance compared to like the house always wins yes like if you're one of the two big parties you are the house exactly and the house always wins so yeah to not it's it's very it's, it's is it cowardly uh, i guess and I think, like David's question before, like one question you won't see asked in the mainstream media is, David, is it easier to empathise with Liberal voters when you live in South Melbourne? <laughs> well, like, first of all, there are plenty of Liberal voters in South Melbourne. It is going to be a very blue seat of McNamara now that mm. um, Michael Danby has announced his retirement and has you know, vehemently suggested that he wasn't pushed and it was totally his idea. Um, but, you know, the Greens came with... The first him, idea he's had in 30 years. <laughs> well, you know, the Greens came within 500 votes of kicking Danby out of the seat last time. Mm. And they've just been... They've just pre-selected a new candidate with a very select group of voters in that that branch. There's 100 voters got to vote mm. in the, who they wanted to be the next candidate in McNamara. Uh, I see plenty of Liberal voters in South Melbourne. Yeah. Um, but then they... I don't know like if people... I can empathise with them very well because they do come out of... I live in an apartment... They typically live in you know, separated houses. Mm. Um, there's a little part of Port Melbourne that it's very Stepford Wives. Uh, you know, Do they pick up their dogs' the poo? 
Like, I haven't seen a, an epidemic yeah. of dog poo. So no, I guess good. I guess everybody has that shared value of not wanting to live in filth. So I understand. We're taking baby steps here of finding common ground with the Liberal Party. I like that. All right. Well, that's walking the talk of, like, self-sufficiency. Like, that's where it starts. So I'm okay with that. But this is the pattern of a few state electorates around Melbourne being real legitimate three-way races where potentially the third party ends up leapfrogging the second party mm-hmm. to on preferences or whatever and taking the seat uh, as happened in Paran for the Greens. And I, I just thought that's a good good segue to ask both of you, what's your view of how this Super Saturday race has been played out in the media in terms of like a footy match and a, and that, you know, like I said, American sports before Caitlin and mm-hmm. the fact that it's, yeah, even when the Libs aren't running a candidate, that that's not even, that's not even a big enough disruption to that narrative overall. What, what do you make of that? And what does it say about Australian politics? I think it's quite confused, to mm-hmm. be honest. I think, it's a, I think it's a pretty, quite a confusing sort of process because on the one hand, you know... Just the, for these by-elections or just generally? For these, just for these by-elections, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, because the Liberals, who's like, you know, they're one of the two biggest parties in Australia, but then they're, but they're not running candidates in two of these seats. Um, Genius. Yeah, it's just it, it just seems like slightly nutty. It just seems a bit like everyone's kind of scrambling in mm. some ways, I think, to make sense of it and to kind of predict the outcome. And I think part of that confusion comes from not being able to trust polls. Mm-hmm. And there's a confusion about whether the polls are accurate and how mm. much we can get from them, you know, their limited usefulness when I think people we used to rely on them. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's it. The media this morning were doing a lot of the, the press gallery. We're doing a lot of soul searching about did we make too much of these poll results and the effect that they would have on leadership or an election happening early? Uh, how much was Albanese like sharpening his cutlery, um, you know, behind behind not so closed doors? And they were sort of doing a bit of soul searching this morning. Poor Albanese. I mean, he can't step out in public without that being considered a leadership challenge. And on the other side, you have Tony Abbott going on radio saying how much of a bad job Malcolm Turnbull is doing. Yeah. Uh, you know, the press gallery does everybody in the country a disservice by being caught up in their own vortex of narrative. And I'm mm. sure there is a lot of that. If you were in the building, you would catch a lot of, this person's talking to this person, this person's talking to that person. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Oh, did you hear about this? And there's a staffer feeding you the line in here. And they tend to take it all for, this is the most important thing facing the country. Well, I mean, given that 170-year publication in Fairfax Media just got bought out by Channel 9, like an entertainment conglomerate, isn't it fair to say that the media and the press, the Canberra Press Gallery acting that way is just a symptom of the neoliberal policies that have been put in place around media and reporting? Absolutely. And I think it's indicative of the lack of investment that this government and the previous government have made into media mm. in Australia mm-hmm. there's just a complete lack of there's a complete lack of support you know like talking like all those cuts to the ABC that we've seen like over mm. and over and over again they're putting media organizations in a position where they need to be bought by somebody like Channel 9 mm. because they need to stay afloat yeah I think it's really depressing actually yeah. Well, we're already... I sound so pessimistic, I'm sorry. <laughs> what, what do you feel good about as a result of the Super Saturday elections, Caitlin? Let's what do I feel good let's about? Let's get some balance. Okay, real let's, balance get, some, let's get some real balance. Um, I'm really pleased that we've seen... I love I love watching the Liberals cop one. Like, I love it, you know? It's just it's, like a foot in the nuts, it isn't is. it? It's, yeah. right, it's satisfying, shard and fraud. It is. It's like, sure, you're swimming in money that is from me. Are they, though? Like, 
Well, no, maybe not the party, but the people the are. People, I mean, it's yeah. this kind of thing where your businesses, wealth, go under, yeah. your businesses go under, but you're a millionaire, except yeah. that it's all in your wife and kid's name and it's hooked up to a family trust so you pay no tax. Yep. But you're a functional millionaire, you know. Yes. Like, it's one thing to be like, yes, kick a toy in the nuts today, but they are, that is only to offset the huge massive difference between my life and their life kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, I can never yeah. I can never forget that. Yeah. yeah. 100%. And also the like um the popularity, you know, the increasing popularity of the Greens I think is a good thing to come mm. out of these by-elections. Yeah, I think they did okay in where did they did they gained in Braddon and in Longman? I think they gained off where they so. were, but they were coming off a very steep drop off in Braddon. Like mm-hmm. they've really suffered in Tasmania overall and especially in the northwest where the Greens just haven't been able to provide real world right now solutions mm-hmm. for the huge poverty and inequality and, and social problems that are happening in the northwest of Tasmania with the labor base being so stuffed up like so my, my entry in my interest from the Super Saturday is that I've lived in or near both at least the two big ones that Braddon and, and Longman so um, I've sort of paid attention in that in that way and mm-hmm. and I really think going back to the the issue of, of the libs not running candidates it's like them acknowledging that they have openly have nothing to offer yes like poor working people like working poor or, or people struggling to be in the workforce or let alone people on welfare who they you know they would yeah. just like to see die in the street as a cost-cutting measure uh, it's not just that they don't offer they don't have anything to offer young people they don't have anything to offer people who are tertiary educated they don't have you know, totally they don't have anything to offer yeah. And the thing is, those comments that you quoted about Malcolm saying we're going to revise and go back, sort of go back to the drawing board a bit, that is, for me, that is all about the tax cuts, which yeah. are giving the big end of town a big let off. And it's still just pushing out that old orthodox selling the message to people that don't worry if we really make life comfortable at the top it'll it'll dribble down to you and you'll you'll get these um mm-hmm. you know what is it when you have a roast and you get these uh what are they called giblets uh, no like the giblets shavings, no. the leavings the le- yeah you get the leavings you know you'll get the kind of the runoff oh, the dripping the dripping there you'll oh, get the dripping and yeah. it's the best bit really it is the best bit i on behalf of an organization i won't name called into some of the by-elections to ask them to put the toys last and it was all about the, like, Caboolture Hospital in Longman mm-hmm. had these huge cuts which are affecting frontline, like, beds and, you know, beds yep. and nurses and doctors. And then explaining that and the cut to penalty rates that kicked in at the start of July around the country for, like, hospitality workers and pharmacy workers and so on. And then, so those, those things send a message of, oh, yeah, we're all having to tighten our belts. Oh, no, but here's a tax cut to corporate Australia. That's the That's the thing where I think the Libs go, we're not running a candidate in these places because... And 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 in a way, like the brazen cheek of them to have the be running out this track record over the past mm. year, and then to think that even in Braddon and Longman, that yeah, they'll they'll we we reckon we can win. We reckon we can cut taxes. We can give tax breaks to corporate Australia. Absolutely, keep cutting workers and welfare to the bone at the lower end, and we can still get all of you chumps to vote for us. Like I mean, for me, that's where my Schadenfreude hits a wall. Because it's like mm-hmm. some very real taking the piss of like the Australian public when it comes to policy and structural things that will actually help people. Maybe this is Australia waking up to the fact that the Liberals' core constituency is multinationals, is mm. big business, is reliant on xenophobia to get votes of people who don't necessarily realise that. But the, you know, the results in Longman show that you know, if you cut our cost- hospital, then maybe we're going to cut you out of Parliament. Mm. If you know, if you go down to Braddon and you... Mm. 
get rid of jobs, you offshore it or you wood chip or you clear mm-hmm. fellow forests so there is no more forestry, then yeah. you know, you've got all these people, as you say, living below the poverty line on welfare or, or not on welfare if they're not eligible. Mm. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. they're supposed to say, well, why am I giving all this help to the, you know, the top end of Australia? Every tax cut that is given to the top end of Australia is another hospital not built, another school not funded, you know, education you know, for our kids going backwards. So mm. yeah. maybe, maybe they're cottoning on. But I think um, as well, not to, you know, be like the Debbie Downer on this podcast. Do again, it. You can but, be our official devil's advocate to stop us having group think. But I think that the the problem with this kind of like, yeah, as much as I get a kick out of seeing the Liberals defeated, the upswing in, I mean, it's something that David, you and I were talking about earlier, is that upswing in One Nation. Mm, you mm. know, there's like the people who were voting Liberal and now, because they don't think that they're getting a fair deal mm. from the Liberal Party, they don't think they're being represented because they represent corporate Australia. Yes. That one nation narrative of like, no, we appeal to the working class. We appeal mm. to the kind of, what did you call them? The Howard Battlers. The Howard Battlers. Yeah. We're, and we're going to see all week, and this is not, I'm not a genius for saying this. It's really obvious. Like we're going to see all week stories in the media about how the Liberals don't have an answer for One Nation. They don't know what to do with their right flank. Like, we know that Labor goes hard. Like, the more left you are in Labor, the harder you go and the more hatred and vitriol you pour on the Greens. They're like, no, those votes are ours. Like, how dare you? Uh, and that's that in, you know, two-party sports team entitlement. And on the other side, I think, like, this will be this, will be this like, reverberation of, like, like I expect to see the, the coalition really change their strategy. I mean, the thing is, they've got One Nation voting for them in the Senate 90% of the time, 90%. Mm. So it's not really about real results. It's all about the look yep. and and the, 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 the posture and the, you know, the relative position. Yeah, what, what do you think might happen there? One Nation is just too terrifying to contemplate. I can't imagine if they've got another lower house seat by some miracle of mm. you know, not just outright dog whistling you know, as you said before, the, the vuvuzela of racism. <laughs> um, they, they might need to deploy that kind of thing. Um, you know, libs probably don't have an answer for One Nation because the libs can't outwardly be as ostentatiously xenophobic as they would like to be. Mm. And, and Pauline can. Mm. And Pauline's changed from you know Australia being swamped by Asians to Australia being swamped by Lebanese, and now it's Australia being Muslims. swamped by Muslims, which is, you know covers a fair portion of the, the globe. Being swamped by Indigenous people. I know. How dare they? Oh, God. It's, um, so, uh, you know, I said before I was calling into these electorates and, and honestly, six of ten people that I spoke to saw reducing immigration as like a big decider for them in who they're going to vote for. And sometimes they'd come down to narrowing down a list of reforms to saying, oh, it's definitely between reducing the cost of living and reducing immigration. And someone literally, I, I said, okay, well, pick one. And just say, just like, let me ask you of those two, which one affects your life more personally? Like, oh, in that case, yeah, definitely immigration. And I just couldn't believe that because for me, the only the only understanding I have of that kind of nationalist exclusive uh, propaganda and, and vitriol is to say, well, it's because of a reduced opportunity for yourself and the high cost of living and your lack of access to jobs it's being that's it's all the money we're spending on the welfare of these um you know of, of you know refugees and and foreigners and people coming and bringing their problem you know it's it's that easy othering yes but that, that that's the only way i can understand it so when you give someone a chance to reduce the high cost of living or reduce immigration why don't surely they could surely even in their framework 
they would want to reduce the high cost of living. Surely that would affect them more. So I was just blown away by that. Yeah. They might have a, a subconscious understanding of the fact that multiculturalism creates conflict. You know, they might not necessarily, you know, it's not everybody in singing, holding hands and singing Kumbaya. You know, the, the more people that you have sitting at a table, the more conflict you're going to have about the discussions you have about the kind of meal you might be having. Very Malthusian, like limited resources. But see, I found, I mean, and I found from living in parts of regional Australia that that people are much nicer. I mean, in a way, like here, here we are in Melbourne, like we're in like the cultural capital of the country, mm-hmm. knowing like we're so far removed from the Australian norm, I think. like uh, yes. I mean, sure. I yeah. And when I've lived in regional areas, I've noted that people in towns, they, they, they will vote One Nation or they will openly say that they're uncomfortable around people who aren't white or that they they don't like the Asian tourists up there in Queensland, you know, yep. or they... um. Uh, yeah, they quite like their fucking money, though, don't they? Oh yeah, you bet. They're, they're <laughs> Sorry, this, so this issue open. makes me like so incandescent go with rage. Fire away! Oh yeah. my god, because it's like it's just when you're asking people this question, it's like how do you you know when when they hear the question, what's more important to you to your life personally? What they hear is what does your tummy feel about brown people? Oh yeah, sure. You know, like yeah. that's it. That's what they feel. Yeah. You know, it's that like really. I don't know. And and so this is the point I was getting to exactly that that it's only it's it's like they don't have any they don't have any people at their table they don't have any diversity at their table no. they live in an all white town and or they think they do I think this is the thing. well and they're like oh but. And then you go, oh, what about your best mate? He's a Muslim. They go, nah, that's Sammy. And it's like, his real name's Ibrahim, yeah. but they all decided to call him Sammy. And they're like, oh, yeah. no, he's great. If only they were all like him. Because yeah. and, and the thing is, in, in those towns where they're the most racist in their political voting and that, that they're, they're the most giving and nice and they look you in the eye and they're friendly in a way that you can't get on like a Melbourne tram or, yeah. or in a kind of a, you know, an exclusive sort of urban scene, you know, in Melbourne. Um, but then we have our politics sort of in the right in the right shape kind of thing, and so we're more like there, there's a real irony there between how great people treat each other personally in their lives, and there's a lot more deep local connections. Yeah. And if they actually get some diversity in that local neighbourhood, they'll be included too. But mm-hmm. they yeah won't register. They won't actually be like oh no, but they're not really they're not. I'm not voting for that kind of refugee. I'm voting yes. for the you know yeah. I'm voting for the for the nice mm. you know contributing refugee mm, that's know? right yeah you yeah, know the people good. who came here legally by yes. plane not traumatized in any way by their horrible life experience or, or this is also where you get the, the the refugee who wants to like shut the door behind them going i'm yes. the good refugee yeah. i don't like these bad quote unquote yeah which never works well on radio or podcast the you know um refugees giving me and my family a bad name but th- that kind of irony of like regional communities and having a lack of diversity and that affecting your voting intention like does that make you less angry or more angry on the issue of those reactionary kind of votes and so on i think it just makes me want to like lie down a lot more you know like, it like just, time it, for a nap just time too much time for just me to <laughs> check out for five minutes and just kind of stare at a wall or something you know so yeah. there's a great opportunity i think to be having that conversation and that's what frightens me so much about one nation is that they go in guns blazing mm. and have like this very clear narrative whereas what what they really need what those sorts of well this is me speaking as some sort of you know with my Here's, I'm going to tell you regional, Far, no, regional types what you need is... <laughs> hey, if someone from regional Australia wants to come in and be on the show, you're welcome. Come, get, get in please. here. Please. Oh, get, my get in here. God. Come on. But, like, you know, 
people like having a conversation. I've just got back from the NT and people love a chat, you know, mm. like people really like to have a have a conversation. Yeah. And um and humanizing humanizing these issues, these macro issues, changes yes. that gut response. This, this yes. is my I mean, I think that's something all three of us would really agree on just yeah. from our experience in politics and, and study and science, right? Yeah. Education and science. It mm-hmm. just makes me sad. What kind of sad, Dave? Well, I feel sad. I mean, I feel sad for all of us who quite often have to live with the consequences of these regional voting blocks. Mm. Um, That that has a huge impact on uh, on every Australian, not just if you live in Melbourne or if you live in Catherine or yeah, because it's a it's a minority of seats in Queensland and New South Wales that determine the government. Yeah. For everyone. Which is a little terrifying mm. and, and not to throw the NBN out there as a, a huge example of having to live with consequences of, uh, of this kind of race baiting and, and general cynicism towards mm. the disillusionment of that voting base. But, you know, we have to deal with these consequences and we don't have the opportunity to have these one-on-one discussions about, look, what do you think about refugees? I mean, yeah. do you yeah. think we should be locking kids in a cage? What do you like, think? Oh, well, it's because... expensive, mate. And you're like, well, do you know for the amount of money that we've spent locking up these refugees over the last 10 years, yeah. we could have made every single one of those refugees a doctor. Yeah. If you know, we, for the same amount of money. It's, <laughs> it's quite... I've been listening to... It's replacing one fear for another. Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> but it is. It is replacing one fear with another. But I think the concept of fear, I think, is like super, super important mm. in this in this conversation. I was listening to that New York Times podcast, Caliphate. Oh, yeah. It's so fucking good. And the journalist, Rukmini, she says... Provocative name. Oh, it's amazing. It's... <laughs> Yeah, she is amazing. Like she's yeah. an incredible human being, yeah. and she says that you know the thing about the Islamic State is they want they want people to be afraid of them. Mm. It's not an us versus them because they are we are them. Mm. We are we are the same. Mm. It's that they want people to be afraid of them, mm. and that is part of their. It's just, it's the same tactics that you know people you people have used all over the world mm. in different kinds of sort of guerrilla warfare you know so that the troubles in northern ireland mm. and the ira like they want people to be afraid of them to address so, the asymmetry exactly yes. so then when you have somebody like one nation who buys into that narrative who buys mm. into that idea and the liberal party i mean and the liberal party but to a to a lesser extent that, i think it's much more subtle in mm. some ways like peter dutton dutton will pull some shit like some tamp oh, shit yeah for true. his seat he he will he will make something happen in his in his role. He's on a knife edge. I mean, he could lose his seat. At he the will make election. something crazy happen. This is why he's talking African gangs and stuff. Yeah. You know? Meanwhile, ignoring domestic violence. You know, this is you know, forty women have been killed from domestic violence this year, but no no one's died from African gangs. But that's all Peter Dutton wants to talk about. Yeah. So it's that politics of fear, isn't it? Yeah, it's the politics. Yeah, the politics of fear and driving people towards conclusions that actually don't have any basis in reality and that don't necessarily um really engage with what's happening mm. so but it's like, facts can't do facts, anything you can't yeah, exactly. that, that great example of dave uh, dave's about making them all doctors you know making yeah. Islam because all doctors with the training it, it, they're not they're not interested they, they feel it, it's stuck in their it's stuck in their ribs and they're hanging on to it isn't that well, and they'd be one of the good ones like sammy from you know wherever <laughs> you know it's yeah, well, they, they have, or something. Yeah, well, they have that they have that feeling where, yeah. you know, like if you're spending that money on other people, then that money's not getting spent on me. Mm. I guess I'd better vote for this tax cut for, you know, Commonwealth Bank. Yes. Because uh, mm. that'll make a difference for me yeah. personally somehow. Yeah. Right. Well, one thing, I mean, what you're saying about the fear there, I feel like there's a bleeding over from that fear of, of uh, you know, Islamism and Islamistic violence and stuff. Mm. Uh, but, the real, but a lot of, but it sort of merges with the fear, which is the fear people have that results from 
their economic and social system no longer pulling through for them. So complete atomize, buying into like 30 years of complete atomization of our families and communities, complete chipping away at health and education. I mean, and the thing is, this this corporate tax cut that the coalition suffered from so badly, it came at a time when, you know, they'd cut a a thousand apprenticeships less, you know, less in Queensland because they cut education, you know, the the beds in the Caboolture Hospital. So people really feel and could really see the stark difference. But if it doesn't combine in a kind of a public policy shitstorm, like like the way they rolled out those policies, just the timing was so appalling for them. Mm. Like either shows extreme arrogance or just... I don't know what they've given up or something. I, I reckon it's arrogance. Mm. I reckon arrogance. But they've gotten arrogance away with it before. Is, yeah, it's mm. writ large all over the Liberals' kind of approach yeah. to this stuff. But the functional fear for people who buy yeah. into that stuff, as you so well described, the functional fear is for them and their family not being able to survive this economic system, which if you're a progressive person, 100%. you already know that you already know that to be true. Right. But I feel like progressive also doesn't quite address the fact that a lot of us are speaking from my own experience privileged as fuck yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, the, yeah, the, the concerns yeah. of you know i do not have the same political experience mm. as somebody who is you know reliant on mm. a welfare system well i had a i have a real personality crisis with class you know yes. because like I have a, I'm, I'm totally privileged. I'm totally overeducated, totally employable. Even though I have quite a full on disability, I, I spent the last eight months on welfare just with thirty bucks after my rent to try and keep yep. the lights on. I've been, I've, I've shoplifted food because I had to. I've borrowed yep. money from friends. I've swallowed my pride, you know, a hundred million times. But, but then. I've decided no, I've had it. I'm not doing this anymore. And I've gone out and gotten three jobs because yep. I'm still the the the, the structural privilege means that I am still highly employable and I'm yeah. big and I can instill confidence in people and I can talk the, talk the talk and I've done it before. And so even despite whatever those structural limitations are, I can still go out and just kind of secure. I can yes. sort of navigate the casualization of our workforce. Yes. And lots of people can't. Yes. You know, they had that one skill and the labor market went offshore that's and that's it. it. And no yeah. one's stepping in to retrain them. Yep. In Braddon, uh, which we haven't talked much about Braddon, I don't know, what, what's there to say? There, there was a bit of a lib swing, but Labor won. Uh, it's murky. An independent got 16% and he looks like a total legend, by the way. Did you, did you see that guy? He's got like a full-on beard. He's this like long, gangly. He's like the most Tasmanian <laughs> dude you ever saw. He's a legend. Amazing. Please, Google. Google after this. And if you're listening, get out there and Google there. I forget it's- I forget his name. I'm going to look it up. Is he wearing a flannelette shirt? Because that Absolutely. just complete the with a, with a, like a lance wool kind of collar oh, and stuff. Like, hello. Yeah. Are you um, talking about Craig Garland? Yeah, Craig Garland. Thank you, right. thank you, Craig Garland. Yeah, absolutely. Ten percent in the media. Oh, well, at one point he had sixteen, so that's gone down. This is like the ten percent though for the Greens in, in Perth yeah, for that very short. Yeah, period. for that short period. Yeah, that's right. But anyway, yeah, there's not much to say in Braddon except except that you know in Tasmania you only go to school to year ten. And if you want to do year 11 and 12, you go, you live away from your family and you go to a college yep. that does year 11 and 12. In Melbourne. Well, no, no. Well, I don't know. You maybe. I mean, and yeah, Tasmanians famously like bail and come to Melbourne because it's in their jobs. But, but just to get, you know, when they're 15, 16, they have a decision to make about yep. whether they want to complete their schooling or not. Yep. That's crazy. To, like for, for, for us. Yeah. That's mental. But I don't think that, see, that like being from the UK. Hmm. That isn't too far away Truly. from the experience, not of my peer group, but yeah. of my parents. Right. But 
My dad definitely left school at oh, fifteen. Yeah, A yeah, levels is a thing. People have to go and, and do and the A levels. And they have to go yeah. and like make a conscious decision of being like, okay, I've done my GCSEs. They were god awful. Yeah. All right. What am I going to do at university? Yeah. So you're making a decision when you're sixteen about what it is you want to do in another two years, yeah. four, three years potentially. Yeah. My, it's kind of it's it's slightly nutty. I, I, think. I just want to add to sorry to make this all about me. My demographic privilege is so fucking strong. That despite getting an asterisk as an enter score, like, oh, Luke, <laughs> pick a score from one to a hundred and that's your enter score. Well, how about an asterisk? Yeah, right. Like it's like okay. it's like selecting wingdings for your <laughs> for your comms strategy, you know. Yeah. I've still managed to be a lapsed PhD graduate and totally overeducated and yeah. working for political parties and you know, peak yeah. organizations. So even with that, even with even with that, like it's like tr- even if I tried to fail so hard, I couldn't, you know. Yeah. Now, that's actually not my lived experience, but I definitely have to acknowledge the demographic, you know. But mm. I think, is that why in England they, um, why just old old people just fear young people coming in and taking their TVs and running off? I think that's part of it. Mm. I don't know. That's another podcast. That's a, that's, a, that's a second podcast. I can I tell you, Bernie, like, we will break down. Like, I think when we, whenever we get a big move on Brexit, like a f- substantive thing, we'll, we'll come in and we'll talk. We'll go, okay. get stuck right in. Because I've worked in English politics as well, so... You know, privilege yep. goes that far too. So, so we can we can talk we can some shop. I reckon yeah, we can yeah, really yeah. get stuck in. Oh, and it's the mother yeah. country, you know. We still take our cue, like it or not, from England. No offense, uh, from the non-United Kingdom. The non-United <laughs> Kingdom, exactly. Yeah, um, which is also deeply terrifying. You bet. You bet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but don't worry. We've also we're moving got... away. We're moving away to taking a lot of our cultural cues from America instead. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that's not a worry at all. Yeah, so that's, that's right. <laughs> totally. Everything's fine. Dave, Everything's you settled fine. my worries so well. Then yeah. I was gonna, th- I was gonna throw to you, Dave, and say, have you got anything positive to like me and Caitlin is talking about sort of the end of the Anglophone, uh, you know, Anglophilic world here? Can you be our little I Pollyanna guess... for this, this session? I don't want to lament the loss of the Five Eyes Network uh, too much. Um, What's the Network? Uh, that's the uh, global surveillance network between uh, the UK, United oh, States, yeah, huh. Canada, New oh. Zealand, and Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Well, New Zealand is included. I think is just you know, it's charitable on everybody else's behalf, but they're there anyway. Um, they were just looking at colour swatches, and we yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically that's close enough. Uh, Ansys, oh, they're the, yeah, okay, let's <laughs> do it. Um, no, look, there's things to be positive about. The, you know, the libs got a, a kicking yeah. yesterday, which is great. Uh, they're too terrified to run in electorates where they know they're going to get an even bigger kicking. Mm. Um, the Prime Minister is probably rightly very concerned for his job. You know, despite the fact that there is a fair amount of media collusion in making sure that Labour bad, Liberal not so bad, just your old mate, you know, he's just done well for himself. Um, no, is that Mur- Murdoch Press you're talking? Specifically? Well, I mean, even Fairfax. I mean, Fairfax, mm. with the exception of The Age, who did everything in their power to get Gillard out, including running a front page saying, for the good of Australia, Miss mm. Gillard must resign mm. because we are incapable of doing any journalism that doesn't involve yeah. the leadership speculation. Wow. So all of the Fairfax papers in the country endorsed the coalition in, in 2013. Yeah. So it's not a Murdoch problem. Yeah. I think the media yeah, coverage has been quite poor overall. They have absolutely no interest in covering the other 12 candidates that are running in any of these seats, mm. which has a direct impact on the votes those candidates receive, even if they were to you know, go to, say, the ABC, for example, and say, please give me an interview, I want to talk about the issues mm-hmm. that are facing X, Y, and Z. They won't get it. Mm. Often they'll get one article from each particular news outlet with a, and here's everyone else, and yeah, they'll yeah. get like a paragraph of, Joe is 37, he was a plumber, and now he's running for parliament. 
But then they get yeah, fascinated but he's by a homemaker and this, that, and the other. And yes, yeah, if an independent or three or four independents can hold the balance of power, then they mm. get then they sort of fetishize them. Yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's very very inconsistent. I, I feel like the Barry Cassidy threshold is well, they can't form government, so yeah, you know, so if you can't form, but then that doesn't explain why. When Adam Bant was guaranteeing supply and had that agreement in the lower house with Labor, he didn't focus on those arrangements more as well. So they don't want to talk about the Greens. They just the thing. If, they, yeah. if they talk about the Greens, then people hear about the Greens. Yeah, that's yeah. That's, <laughs> it could be an unintended Wait, consequence. Are there like, more than two parties in Australian politics. I was talking some frequent you know, online gaming services where we talk politics quite a bit mm. while we're playing, and yeah. somebody, yeah, somebody last night thought Barnaby Joyce was in the Greens. What? Like oh, this, what? this wow. is the level of Amazing. political ignorance that you know, <laughs> they thought, oh, I thought that Greens bloke resigned. And I'm like, who are you talking about? <laughs> oh, Barnaby Joyce. I'm like, oh, for Christ's sake. Wow, that's amazing. First of all, national. <laughs> Secondly, yeah. still hasn't resigned. But still what? sitting in parliament. Mm. You know, like they just, there's, <laughs> I don't know how you get there. But I would love yeah. to know what Barnaby Joyce would think about being mistaken for a Greens candidate. Like oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. The best thing to do is be called, have your surname be Green and stand for a Conservative Party. Yeah. Yeah, that's mm. the best way to kind of scoot the pool, I reckon. Right. <laughs> just people that sure. hate you. Is that, <laughs> that way you get Everyone hatred hates from you. the left, hatred yeah. from the right, yeah. ambivalence from the centre because that's all the centre offers. And you're invariably white and male, so, you know. Well, I'm out. You're out. Sorry. No, uh, oh, well. you know, this is why we needed Georgia Downer, Georgina Downer in the parliament because not very many women, you know get encouraged to go into politics, especially in the Liberal Party. So this is why we need oh fresh God. young faces, fresh young blue blood. It's like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that Catherine Murphy piece from a couple of months ago mm. was like sticking up for the rights of women conservative MPs and how they're not getting enough of a say in the party room. And like, oh, yeah. my God, Catherine, can you just give it a rest? Yeah. Just for once. Can you? <laughs> can, oh my god! Can you please step outside the press gallery. But any opportunity you get to vouch for the other side, like you want to do that to try and build your credibility, mm. like depart from your base, and that's all she does, though. That's Murphy. She, yeah, she only vouches for the libs. Like she doesn't. Yeah, you know, like it's all. Oh, dude. Anthony she said Albanese's. the word neoliberal this morning. Oh, wow. did she? She said, or dare I say, neoliberal policies. Like, yeah. So she had to couch it. In reference to what though was she talking? What was she talking um, about? In reference to the libs offering a shit package, right, to the public, and that package being rejected, and and obviously yeah. the tax cuts being the major, um, yeah, like the well, standout yeah. hypocrisy. You know? I think because we're seeing we're seeing this huge sort of populist politics is going from being like quite neoliberally focused to being sort of about addressing inequality. I think people yeah, are really right. concerned. Yeah, and. The libs are just kind of repeating the same old like jobs and growth and jobs and growth and jobs and <laughs> yeah. growth and it's just not doing it for the yeah. for the people anymore. This got us selected in the past. Yeah. Why isn't it working now? <laughs> yeah. Where it's like you promised the same stuff in the last general election and didn't and like, haven't delivered. Yeah. Yeah. There's no trickle down. No. It's like the thing people are starting to realise that it's a myth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's only taken 40 years. Um, Is it mum and dad of conservatism, the neoliberalism, Thatcher and Reagan? You know, like yeah. they, they kind of shepherded the baby boomers through that period of everything's great if you just give us all your money, then everything will be great for you. Yeah. <laughs> like this idea has taken hold. Yes. How does trickle down? Yeah. Work again. Well, the one person gets all the money and then what? That's it. Yeah. yeah. 
That's it. Mm-hmm. Done. Done. Um, but, you know, we've got this this rising tide of not left populism, but at least talking about inequality and talking about inequality of opportunity, mm. talking about privilege and not just saying, okay, you're a white male, you have privilege. You're just saying, look, there are things that don't impact me personally because mm. I'm a white male and that is kind of the definition of privilege. Like my skin colour yes. isn't one of the things holding me back. Yeah. My terrible personality is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I can get past that first glance with a lot of people by being a white male and having these opportunities. Mm. So the fact that these discussions are on the table is really important. Mm. Um, we've got, you know, there's a couple of independent seats now. So there's you know, um, Rebecca Sharkey yeah. for the who I don't automatically hate. No, yeah, in South Australia is a strange old positive. Place. It is positive. I don't <laughs> automatically hate her. Yeah, she says it seems like you know she's. I think she seems. Very well qualified. Slash not overtly taking the piss. That's it. I think she seems very much like the right kind of candidate for for Mayo. Yes. I think she's doing a a good thing. And you've got to be careful what you put with Mayo. True. No downers. No. (laughs) Oh, man, the pun gun. Sorry. I I do not have a license for this pun gun. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, thank you, Dave, for, for putting that spin on it. Look, have, have either of you got any final comments that you want to put on Super Saturday or where we go from here or, you know, sort of like a final kind of statement or question that can reverberate into the podcast sphere? Please. I loved what you just said, Dave, about the talk about talking about inequality and talking about privilege because it's something that I think has been sidelined by a lot of um, media outlets until quite recently when suddenly it became like oh it seems like everybody is talking about this thing we better Mm. cover it now um and that but that can only be a good thing i think that we should be talking to each other more and you know trying not to i don't know hate each other so much and hate other people Mm. maybe Mm. um that's probably all i've got Put out the hate with your, you know. That's it. As much as I, yeah, exactly. As much as I love seeing the 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 liberals get a get a kicking, I think it's that sort of, you know, um, it's like knocking someone down a peg or two who's sort of got this massive overinflated ego, as opposed to sort of actually they haven't actually lost anything. Mm. I think it's really important to remember that the liberals haven't actually lost anything because they are still in power. For me, I'm imagining sort of being in a pub. And having sort of like the bluest blooded Tory get kicked in the nuts, laughing at that, but then helping them and asking them yes. if they need anything. They're saying, come on, mate, I'll buy you a beer. No, wait, you can get the beer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> How's that? I think that's... And think that's, that's everyone loving everyone. Yeah. It's just like, you know, it, yeah, it's quite funny to watch Georgina Downer get sort of like slightly humiliated or the Downer family getting slightly humiliated. It's the family. It's not her. Because then it's, yeah, I'm like, I'm with Dave from before, like imagining the next family event where she's sort of shit kicker and has to go and hand out all the foot massages or whatever. Like, <laughs> but that's what the slaves do, daddy. <laughs> oh, that's terrifying. I, look, I'm optimistic that, I'm deeply optimistic and probably to my own detriment that this Next round of navel-gazing by the press gallery and other miscellaneous journalists and uh, possibly even some uh, just generic retribution from soon-to-be-fired Fairfax journalists uh, will actually improve the quality of journalism and political coverage in mm. the country because you know, they really haven't been doing themselves any favours, which has talked to the, you know, the fact that Fairfax got taken over by yeah. you know, uh, 
pretty large media conglomerate. But yeah, I'm optimistic. I, I, want, Fairfax, I want like to believe. Labor of the media sphere, like they were they were trying to be everything to everyone for for a few years. That was my interpretation of them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, they but needed I, to be balanced by not hating uh, everybody. Well, that, that's a Murdoch effect. When you're like, oh, no, no, that wasn't a Murdoch effect. I was like, that's a Murdoch effect that it drags, everyone drags over. Like the ABC are like, the ABC can't do enough to convince everyone of how right-wing they really can be. You know, like we talk yeah. about, anyway, there's so many topics to go off. The Overton window would be a fun discussion for anyone another time because it, it, it has definitely shifted well to the right. Yeah. Uh, and if you can't see outside the window, then everybody is either a radical leftist or... What's the right, I don't think there is something to the right of the Overton window. Give us the Overton window. What's so the Overton window is the range of discussion, the range of acceptable dis- political discussion. And mm. So if you kind of draw in your mind's eye uh, something from the left and then something from the right and you put these two goalposts in the middle where the centre would allegedly be, mm-hmm. uh, what the Murdoch uh, Empire and even the Fairfax Empire does is they drag that right-hand goalpost mm. over to the right every time they talk about something that they're trying to appear reasonable on. Mm. And then if a left-wing publication or someone is actually you know, objective like the ABC is supposed to do, if they report both sides of the issue, then they're still actually being dragged to the right mm. because they're not reporting that, oh, okay, well, you know, putting kids in cages is bad, mm. but it also costs a lot of money. Yeah. You know, and, but you first, know, you before we reject it out of hand, let's look at the cost of putting these. How much do these cages cost? <laughs> Hang right. on. let's just. I'm just doing my homework. I'm just, we, we owe yeah. it to ourselves to ask. Yes. We've, we've gone out to the, and we've got a, you know, we've had a vendor quote us for this one and we took the, you know, we didn't take the cheapest option because we don't want to cheap out on cages for children. We do want to make sure that they've got, you know, a feeder water bottle and oh a little God. trough to eat out oh of or something Lord. like this and make sure that, you know, they have some level of education, whether it is, you know, a year five education or if they're giving them, you know, chemistry textbooks from university to read because mm. they still have books. And so that, that idea of the Overton window has been dragged so far to the right mm. in the Australian media landscape that, I mean, the left is unrecognisable. You, you mm. can't, I mean, it really stands out as a stark difference. Um, oh, when you read cringe. something even just generally objective, you're just kind of like, oh, this is, feels refreshingly true. And I'm, it doesn't have a left or right agenda. It's just, these are the facts. Mm. Deal with them as you like. Put them. Put your lens on them if you want to, but it doesn't change the facts that, you know, we're putting kids in cages or, mm. you know, we're cutting millions and millions of dollars for corporate taxes and, you know, we're closing hospitals and we're closing schools and, you know, all these kind of things. Mm. But, yeah, that Overton window shift is, you know, it dramatically impacts our media landscape. And it's, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's one of the real challenges we face. And yeah. it's, not, it's not something Fairfax is going to fix. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we went to you for that positive spin at the end, Dave. <laughs> That's fortunate. I've got another one. I've got, I've got another positive thing. Yeah, I... <laughs> As much as federal politics kind of like makes me very depressed, I'm much more optimistic about state mm. level politics, I think, across a whole range of um, different sort of areas. I'm looking at it because... Because their track record you can actually feel good about. Yes. yes. I mean, you know, I am working on a project that is part of a prevention of violence against women fund. That sounds pretty lefty. Yeah, it's pretty wildly lefty. And reading that document, um, reading the kind of the outline and the plan and that the, the inclusion of words like intersectionality mm. into the funding. Yeah. You know, um, not as framework. a guideline, but as, as a, a yeah, as a benchmark. Right? As a benchmark, mm. you know, is I think a really positive swing in the mm. right direction, in the right direction, in the correct, <laughs> correct. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that's something to be really positive about. That as much as kind of you know, federal politicians are kind of eating each other, yeah, and it's all looking a bit wild. I'm still fairly optimistic about the mm. politics at a state level, especially in Victoria. Well, it's what I'm hearing is that. Just because you're a, 
a wild sort of tertiary wicker woman. Mm. It's not just about warding off evil. Yes. That's it. Because okay. the thing is, it can't be. And this is the thing that, you know, you and I have had this conversation before where, yeah. you know, I, if I spend all my time sort of warding off evil and being upset about horrible men, I would never have anything else to do. I would not have enough time mm. for the millions of other things I have to do. Mm. So, yeah, absolutely. So the, the sensible centre Liberal Democrats, the moderate in the middle, actually have a point? That is I would, not I would, where I thought we were going. would not go that far. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I wouldn't go that far. It's the not Labour, not Liberal centre, quote unquote. And again, <laughs> you're right, that doesn't work on a podcast. Yeah. Indeed. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time and energy and uh, mental wit, both of you, uh, Caitlin and Dave. Thanks for having us. That was so fun. Fantastic. We totally, so we keep aiming for a half hour podcast. I mean, just, it's literally an hour since I said we'd be half an hour. But this is going to be a great episode. So thanks again for tuning in, everybody. We are really trying to grow our audience. We've got a really amazing diversity of topics just in our first half dozen banked up episodes. So I would really love it out there. If, you, if you've liked listening to this on the way to work or doing whatever you do, then please share it with your friends. Send it to that weirdo who you think would be really into this. And uh, please, yeah, like talk us up. You can find us, uh, subscribe to us at The Lever on the iTunes store. You can find us on Facebook, actually on Dissatisfunctional page, which is impossible to spell, but it's in the link below. Eventually, you'll find us on, you'll find these podcasts broken up on our YouTube page, but it's not there right now. Or you can subscribe at dissatisfunctional.podbean.com, which is also in the link below. So, yep, share it, send it out there. And look forward to the next one. I think we've lined up a conversation. We need to have a conversation about... Uh, what was your one? We need a conversation about Brexit. And when there's the next big move on that, we need a conversation about... What were you talking about before? The Overton window. Yeah, the Overton window and like the media goalposts. And I think we need a longer conversation about... Because I felt like union bashing was so in a few years ago when like Bill mm. Shorten was being dragged up. And now like Sally McManus is the, the leader with integrity. You know, she's overtaken the Greens as that left yep. integrity bulwark. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to talk about that one day too. So Definitely. We'll, if anything hits the news, we'll be like Avengers Assemble. We'll figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. You guys are champs. Thanks so much. Thanks, Luke. Be good out there. It's like medicine, though. You have to, you have to write the stuff, or else, what are you, you going to do with the feelings inside?